Let us pray. Loving Father, tonight, t- this morning, we just want to pause from the affairs of life. We want to disconnect from the, from the items of the day and from the business as usual. And today we want to spend a thoughtful time in the study of your word. An intimate communion, inspiration of your Holy Spirit, protection of your mighty angels, and the presence of our Heavenly Father. Lord, we are sinners saved by grace. And this morning, we plead that your grace would be sufficient, that your word would penetrate would speak to our hearts and would help us, encourage us to rise and shine to the occasion. I pray, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Luke chapter 18 has an interesting story that we have at one time or another had an encounter with. This morning we want to look at this story and another and compare the two. We're going to see similarities, but at the same time we will discover striking differences in these two stories. They're not parables, they're not illustrations, these are encounters that people had with Jesus. Real encounter with real people. And we're going to see striking differences. Now, as you turn to Luke chapter 18, let me ask you a question. If you had just a moment with Jesus, if you knew that Jesus was going to pass by just now or soon, and you only had a few moments, just a brief moment with Jesus, you could ask him anything, anything at all, any question on any topic, what would you ask Jesus? If you just had a moment to be with Jesus. Would you ask him anything? Would you say to him anything at all? What would that be? Would anyone be, be, be brave enough to say what your number one question to Jesus would be? Go ahead. You can. Will you save my children and my family? Amen. That's how, how many would, would, would definitely ask Jesus about their children and family? And I'm, and I'm glad you, you know the theme of that question is really salvation. Anyone else? Anyone else? Go ahead and just. I can't see your hands if you have them up anyway, so. <laughs> don't, don't worry. Okay, all right. Jesus, what about those who don't know you? What's going to happen to those? There are probably, you know, to, to be honest, I'm putting you on the spot because we really don't think on these terms. We really don't think about what we would say to Jesus if I only had a moment with him. What question I would, would present before him. Well, there was someone that had that opportunity and we're going to, we're going to discover the encounter this person had. I ask you to go to Luke chapter what? 18. Very well. We're going to pick up the story beginning in verse verse 18. Luke 18 and verse 18. And it says this. Now a certain 
ruler asked him, saying, are you there? Okay, notice, a certain ruler asked him, saying, good teacher or good master, what shall I do to what? Inherit eternal life. What do you think of that question? Is that on your top three? I remember the old David Letterman show. Do you remember he had his nightly top ten list? What number would this be on that list? No, one, huh? Yeah, yeah. This is an important question. Now notice who this person is. This is a young man. This is a, you, you know him as the rich, young, what? Ruler. So let's, uh, let's identify what we know about him so far. He is a man who is very wealthy and he has authority. He is a ruler over some. We don't know exactly what he rules over, but we do know that he is a man of prestige. He is a man of high honor. He is a man of wealth. He is a man of high esteem. If you're with me, let me hear you say amen. amen. Okay. The, the, by the way, uh, the reason why I need audible re- reinforcements is because I can't see visual <laughs> affirmations. I can't see this or that. So you grace me with amens. That, amen? amen? All right, I'm just going to exploit and milk as much as I can. Verse 19 puzzles me. Because rather than Jesus directly answering his question, notice how he responds, and he does this very very intentionally. And let me see if you catch it too. In verse 19, Jesus says, so Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? Now notice what he continues to say. No one is good but one, capital one, that is who? God. Notice what Jesus says to this man. When he comes to him, the first thing the rich young ruler says is, good master, trying to, uh, trying to uh, appease, trying to kind of get in good with Jesus, buttering him up, coaxing him, conditioning him, showing him, I'm on your good side, I'm in favor of you, I am favorable to you, good master, by the way, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, rather than directly answering the question, he says, whoa, whoa, whoa wait a minute. What motivates you to call me good? What in me gives you the, the, the assurance? What, what gives you the, 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 the understanding or the belief that I am good? Because I want you to understand that the only one that is good is God. You notice what Jesus did not tell this man? Jesus did not tell him, don't call me good. Jesus did not say, wait, 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 I'm not good. Jesus did not say what he said was wrong. Jesus is just simply asking him, what is the motivation for you to recognize that I'm good? Because if you know that I am good, I want you to know that the only one that is good is God. Therefore, I am God. Jesus introduces himself to this man right from the start before he answers this very important, very critical question. How shall I inherit? What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus wants to establish from the onset, I am he that has the power. 
I am God himself. You're asking the most important. I mean, you can ask whoever, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? But why not get it right from God's mouth himself? And God is in essence introducing himself to this man as God. Are you with me? So this is, this is crucial, this is critical, because if we understand that, if, if this young, rich young ruler understood that right from the onset, the end result would have been strikingly different. Then Jesus, verse 20, says to him, you know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. In other words, Jesus is quoting the Ten Commandments. And as Jesus is quoting the Ten Commandments in no particular order, but more specifically those dealing with our love for our fellow man, this man, this rich young ruler, interrupts Jesus as Jesus is speaking. I can almost hear him clear up his throat. <clears> throat> And he said, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. All these things I have kept from my youth. I felt it coming. All these things I have kept from my youth. In other words, what do I lack? He thought salvation was a list to be checked off. He thought that all he needed to do, in fact, that was his question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This is a business transaction. He almost sounds like a businessman. What do I do? It's, it's an I do, you do. If I do this, you will do that. Simple. What do I need to do in order for me to earn eternal life? And Jesus plays into him. Oh, sure, sure. You know the commandments. And Jesus deals with the commandments dealing with his fellow man. And he says, oh yeah, I've done all of these things since my youth. So he's not a youth. He's a young man. Now, how many of you believe and know that Jesus has a sense of humor? Yeah, do you believe that Jesus has a sense of humor, yes or no? Yes. I, I, I mean, you cannot look at a hippopotamus and think Jesus doesn't have a sense of humor. <laughs> have you ever seen a rhinoceros? I mean, even the name is kind of... I wonder what Adam was thinking when he named that. Notice, notice Jesus' sense of humor here. I don't know, if it's, it's kind of like a dry, witty kind of... In verse 21, uh, verse 22, so when Jesus heard uh, these things, he said to him, you still lack how many things? One thing. I mean, just think of it. If you, if you ask Jesus, Lord, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And he tells you, oh, John, you just need one thing. Imagine if Jesus told you you needed one thing in order for you to inherit eternal life. How would you feel? Huh? I'd be shocked. 
really learn one thing out of the many flaws in my character, out of the many things that I still haven't gotten uh, right, out of the many times that I've stumbled, out of all these different things that I'm dealing with, you're telling me that I've only one thing? In fact, I, I, I'd, li- I'd like to, you know, sometimes I... Uh, I'm careful not to add to God's word and take away because, you know, you know, Revelation 22 tells me that, you know, it'll either be added to me or taken away from me. Um, and I don't want either one of those. But in this case, I'm just going to bravely add little in here. So Jesus says, verse 22, uh, he said to him, you still lack one little thing. One little thing. Sell how much? Sell how much? See, 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 Jesus says, you lack one thing. Sell everything. I'm telling you, Jesus, it kind of trips you. Whoa. I mean, just when Jesus asked him, when Jesus says, you lack one thing, I can just imagine that rich young ruler, you know, Lifting up his chest and his head and probably looking around. You hear that, fellas? I only like one thing. And he's probably got that little, you know, pious smirk. You know, the one that he always has, especially when grandmothers see him walking by and says, Oh, Lucy, you should get a husband like him. He's rich and wealthy and he loves his parents. And, you know, this is the kind of guy that everyone wants to be like. He's a likable guy. He's a wealthy guy. He's a prosperous man. He is a man of, of high esteem and regard. And when Jesus says you lack one thing, he probably like, yeah, what little thing can that be? And when he hears Jesus says sell everything, he's like, wait, wait, what? What, what did he said one thing, didn't he? How come I hear everything in the same time? I don't understand this. And Jesus has to to repeat it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen. Sell everything that you have. and, and, And by the way, distribute it to the poor. And then Jesus says, you will have treasures where? Now, will is a definite article. It is not, there is no room for error. There is no room for chance. It is not, I think, or maybe I could talk with the guy and give a good recommendation. No, no, no. Jesus affirms him, confirms him, and, and, and tells him, I guarantee you, you will have treasures in heaven. Oh, and by the way, come and follow me. Now, Jesus, to this rich young ruler, had to spell out the way of salvation as clear, so clear that even a young child can easily understand it. Yes or no? Spelled it out. Take everything that you have. Give it to the poor. I guarantee you, you will have treasures in heaven. And come and follow me. Now, if this, un- if this young man understood who he was talking to, as Jesus introduced himself, as Jesus revealed himself to this rich young ruler, he wouldn't have had such a conundrum. He, should- he wouldn't have had such a difficult time. What this man did is on one hand, he placed all his riches 
his fame, his prestige, his money and wealth, house and the Poconos and, you know, his, 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 you know, his, his nice cars, his, his wonderful vacations and his, you know, luxurious cruises and all of these different things on this hand, which is nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with any of that. Amen? Oh, okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I, you know, I wouldn't know. I'm not, I, I, I have no idea. But I don't mind those things, okay? <laughs> However, on this hand, he had to place eternal life. The cost of discipleship. The cost of following Jesus. You know, we live in a world where popular Christianity has sold the gospel for such a cheap price. That salvation is just based on a simple intangible belief just a a series of of repetitious declarations i accept jesus i recognize that i am a sinner and i accept jesus christ into my life and therefore i believe in him and boom you have salvation it's almost like this this magical potion that just automatically you're saved salvation today is presented as a health wealth prosperity gospel Listen, I believe salvation is a free gift. It is a gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. I understand that. But it will cost you everything you have. And this young, rich, rich young ruler had to evaluate whether his worldly riches was more important to him than eternal life. And notice what happens in verse 23. Verse 23 says, But when he heard this, he became very sorrowful. Is there a difference between sorrowful and very sorrowful? Have you ever been very sorrowful? What kind of life events? Death of a loved one, right? When the diagnosis seems hopeless. Notice I say the word seems, intentional. Because no diagnosis is hopeless as long as we believe in Him that hath the power. Amen? I am a living testimony of hopelessness. I was diagnosed blind when I was about a month old and I was told I would never see. Today I see enough, like I told you last week, to get into trouble. (laughs) He went, he became very sorrowful for he was very rich. It's interesting that it connects his sorrow with his wealth. In other words, his sorrow was apparently in proportion to his loss, his potential loss, according to his estimate. In verse 24, Jesus now, when Jesus saw this, he, I'm sorry, when Jesus saw that he became very sorrowful, he said, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter 
into the kingdom of, of, of God. Now, now, Jesus didn't say it is impossible. It's just hard. It's difficult. But not impossible. I praise the Lord for men and women that God has blessed because they help God's word work go forth in ways that otherwise would be hindered and impeded. Amen? But in this case, this young, rich, young ruler valued his wealth of such degree that to him, his earthly treasures were of more importance than his, than his heavenly home. What is more important to you this morning? Is Jesus the most important treasure in your life? One of my good friends, uh, Jeffrey Rosario, once said, I'm not sure if any of you have heard of him. Uh, in one of his messages, one time he said this, If God does not sit on the throne of your heart, guess who does? Hmm. Hmm. So if, if our treasures that are here on earth have mercy, because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So we know where this rich young ruler's heart is. Now, notice what we learned so far about this, this encounter with Jesus. We have a rich young ruler. He's a man. He is very wealthy. He came to Jesus, had the audacity to ask Jesus flat out in his face, what do I need to do in order for I to inherit eternal life? Jesus has to reveal himself as Lord to this guy. He didn't even understand. He didn't know who he was standing before. He referred to him as a good teacher. Have any of you had a good teacher in your life? I've had several good teachers. Amen? Have you had a good teacher? You know, one of those, was it your grammar? Was it your algebra? Was it your business? Your calculus? I don't know, your science? Your chemistry teacher? What was it? We've all had great teachers in our life, but how many lords have you had? Many could be great teachers. Now notice, I want you to notice now, we're going to look at another account. Very similar profile, but strikingly different results. Are you ready? Luke 19. Just the next chapter. Right there, it's almost like Luke is trying, or the Lord is trying to tell us something through these two accounts. One in Luke 18, this one is in Luke 19. We're going to pick it up in verse 1. Luke 19, verse 1, it says this. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named, who everyone? Zacchaeus, who was a what? He was a chief tax collector, and was what? Rich. Do we have similarities between Zacchaeus and the rich young ruler? Yes. They're both men. Sorry, ladies. They're both chief of something. The, the, the rich, rich young ruler rules over I don't know what area of business, but, the, but Zacchaeus, he's, he's a chief tax collector. He is a ruler over the, the, the tax collectors, the IRS. In other words, he was not just a thief. He taught others how to steal even better. He was the crooks of the crook. He was the crook of crooks. He taught the other tax, the publicans, how to extort people more out of their money. Are you with me? I mean, this was a man of 
high wealth. He also was a powerful individual. Now notice verse 3. And he sought to see who Jesus was and could not because of the multitude. For he was of short stature. Now, based on verse 3, up to verse 3, question. Did Zacchaeus and Jesus, have they ever met before? Has, has, has he ever seen who Jesus was? No, right? So up to now, Zacchaeus and Jesus have never met. Why is that significant? Well, hold, hold your thought. Just put that there in the back of your mind. We'll revisit that in just a minute. Notice verse 4. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. Zacchaeus is, is in his office. He's probably at some H&R block somewhere there in Jericho. And he's, he's hearing a whole bunch of commotion out on the, in, in, on the street. And he asks one of his, his publicans, hey, what's going on out there? And when the publican comes in, he says, oh, the, everybody's in an uproar. There's this guy named Jesus that's walking by. And he's like, Jesus, wait a minute. I've heard of him. I've got to see him. He probably jumps on the top of his desk. I don't know why I have that image of him. He's, he's, he's on the top of his desk with his, with his Armani or uh, Armani, you know, kind of robe kind of uh, uh, thing on. And, and he's got his, 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 his Versace sandals on, you know. And, and he's just all decked out. He's rich. I mean, he's dressed like the best. And he runs outside to the street, and he's, he's seeing the people walking down that way, and he tries to see who Jesus is, but he can't. And so he's, he's trying to jump and see who he is, but he can't. He's too short. And so he gets one of these ding moments. He sees that they're walking down that way, and the multitude is turning, and he knows, hey, there's a tree over there that I can climb up into. Maybe I can... Hurry before anybody gets there. And he starts to run. And he gets to this tree. And everyone's attention is at Jesus. So he's ahead of him. And he's climbing. Can you see this little guy climbing up this tree? I mean, with his robe. and whatnot. Anyways, he gets up there. And he, he's leaning over one of the big branches. And now he's above the road. The foliage is covering him up. He can see down. But he believes no one can see up. Out of sight. Out of mind. And the multitude is coming. And he's trying to find out, who is this Jesus? And he starts to pinpoint who Jesus is because everyone's attention is towards Jesus. And so just like the spokes on the wheel, he can just follow it and see right around there that one of those has to be Jesus. And now, notice, as he's up there, Jesus is down below. Verse 5 says, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, what? Zacchaeus, make haste and come down for today I must stay at your house. Now, I want you to think about this. Jesus is walking. Zacchaeus is up on the tree. Jesus is walking down the road. And as he is coming close to this tree, Jesus now looks up. 
Jesus is surrounded by a multitude of people. He's walking down a narrow road. And rather than looking around him to make sure he's not stumbling over people, he looks up. Why do you think Jesus looked up when he got to that very place? Why did Luke take valuable Bible space to include that little detail? Why did he say when he got to that place, he looked up? Jesus knew who was up there. How do I know? Because he calls him by name. He gets there. He looks up. And just think about it for a moment. Zacchaeus is up, up above looking down. Jesus is down below looking up. At that moment, their eyes meet. Can you imagine what Zacchaeus is thinking, what he's feeling at that moment? When he and Jesus meet for the first time, Jesus hasn't opened his mouth. Jesus' eyes are looking at Zacchaeus, not with penetrating, uh, castigating eyes, but with tender, loving, merciful, gracious eyes. And Jesus looks to him and Zacchaeus is thinking, oh no, what do I do now? I can't look away. If I look away, I lose. I can't do that. And, 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 and he's thinking, this is awkward. Have you ever had one of those awkward moments? And just when he starts to think, I, I hope nobody can see me up here. That would be embarrassing. Hope nobody sees me up here. Just when he's thinking the worst, Jesus calls him by name. Zacchaeus. What do you think Zacchaeus thinks now? How in the world does he know me? How does he know my name? And now everyone's attention from Jesus is now on Zacchaeus. And Jesus tells him, Make haste, come down for today, not tomorrow, not next week. I don't want you to fit me in your schedule. I don't want you to look at your, 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 your next appointment today. In other words, now I must stay at your house. Jesus, does he not know who this man is? Does he not know what this man's done? Does he not know who he's talking to and who he's insisting on going to his house? Zacchaeus, notice his reaction in verse 6. Notice the only things that Jesus tells him is, make haste, come down, and receive me. Notice verse 6. So he made haste and came down and received him how? Joyfully. Now the story kind of changes from the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler, the one that has been obeying God, the one that has been faithful to Jesus, the one that has, been, that has kept the law ever since he was a little kid, ever since he was from his youth, the one that has been faithful in paying tithe and offering, the one that has had the most prestigious life, and admirable, esteemable, leaves sorrowful. And here's this sinner Publican, in fact, chief publican. 
receives Jesus joyfully. Jesus told him exactly what he needed to do. Come down, make haste, and receive me. What did he do? He made haste, he came down, and received Jesus joyfully. That's all we know that Jesus asked him to do. That's all. We don't have anything else. We don't know what happened on the way towards Zacchaeus' house. We don't know the conversation that he and Zacchaeus had. We don't know who Zacchaeus invited to his house. But I can almost imagine that it was all of his friends. And you can imagine what his friends' list might have looked like. You know, he's the one that you probably think twice about friending on Facebook, or, or maybe you don't, you don't link in with them. You know, I don't know. I don't know what, what your estimate would be of Zacchaeus. But he, his house was probably full of the riffraff, of the drunkards, sinners. Verse 7 says this. But when they saw it, saw it this is the multitude, they all complained, saying, he has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. L- question. Did the multitude lie? What, did Jesus go to be in to be a guest with a man who is a sinner? Yes or no? Yes. Did Jesus mind? Did Jesus know? Did Jesus care? Was he politically correct? Jesus didn't care. Jesus wasn't there to please the multitude. He was there looking for Zacchaeus. Verse 9, it says this. Now notice. Notice. Verse 9. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord. We don't have Jesus asking him anything else. All of a sudden, at some point of this feast at his house, he stands up and he looks to Jesus. And notice how he addresses Jesus. He says what? Lord. The rich young ruler referred to Jesus as a good master. Zacchaeus recognizes who Jesus is and calls him Lord. He says, look, Lord, I give Half of my goods to who? To the poor. Did Jesus ask Zacchaeus to do anything to the poor? No. Now Jesus asked someone else to do something with the poor. What, What did he do? He walked away. Did nothing for the poor. Here Jesus doesn't even ask Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus turns around and says... Half of my goods, I'm going to give to the poor. Let's say that half of his goods was, or or, or let's say he had $10 million. He, right off the top, he takes $5 million and gives to the poor. He's left with how much? Good. You're good. Just checking. But he doesn't end there. He adds, and if I have taken anything from anyone By false accusation, in other words, if I've stolen, if I've ripped some people off, I restore fourfold. Now let me ask you a question. Do you think that Zacchaeus has defrauded people in the past, yes or no? Do you think a few or many? Okay, so let's suppose that the news is is spread throughout all Jericho. 
extra, extra. If you can prove that Zacchaeus has defrauded you, he, you will, he will return it to you four times what he stole from you. Can you imagine the, the line outside of that H&R block that next day? Everybody and their grandmothers there with their receipts to prove how they have been cheated out of so much money. At the end of that day, can you just imagine how much Zacchaeus was left with? Nothing. Zacchaeus gave it all to the Lord. He laid everything down. He esteemed eternal life. He esteemed fellowship with Jesus. And by the way, Jesus never ever assured Zacchaeus of anything. Jesus didn't say, I'm going to give you salvation. Jesus didn't give him an incentive. He didn't have an incentive to do what he did. It was just a, a, a response of having an encounter with Jesus. It was a response to the forgiveness Jesus extended to him. To the mercy Jesus showed him. To the grace Jesus bestowed on him. He gave half to the poor and the rest to make wrongs right. That's necessary when we have encounters with Jesus. Verse 9. Notice what Jesus says. Jesus says to him, Today, salvation has come to where? To where? So that salvation was not just for Zacchaeus. Do you get it? All of those friends that were there, the prostitutes perhaps, the drug dealers perhaps, the bartenders and, and all of the riffraff that came in to eat with Zacchaeus, they were all touched the grace of Jesus. They all received salvation. The house. Jesus says today salvation has come to this house. Because he also, Zacchaeus also, is a son of Abraham. And that is the backdrop. That is the platform. That is the premise for this very, very well known verse. This is the reason why Jesus says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Zacchaeus is no different than I was. No different than you and I, except maybe he had a little bit more money than we do. You have two men. Both Rulers, both rich, one had the audacity to come straight to Jesus' face and ask him, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus presents to him the way of salvation and he leaves, he turns from it and leaves sorrowful, very sorrowful. There's another rich young ruler who did not keep the law, who was not faithful to Jesus most of his life. Who didn't have the opportunity to go before Jesus. He just wanted to see who he was. That's all we know. He just wanted to see who Jesus was. He didn't want to know anything more. He climbs up in a tree. Jesus has an encounter with him. Jesus invites him 
He accepts the invitation, receives Jesus joyfully, and without Jesus even asking him to do anything, he gives everything. And Jesus is not till after Zacchaeus responds that Jesus says, Today salvation is come to this house. Jesus told the rich young ruler, If you do these things, you shall have treasures in heaven. This morning, who do you identify with? There are many Zacchaeuses that surround us. There are many Zacchaeuses around us and we have the opportunity. We could be like that multitude that murmurs and complains about Jesus, what he's doing with sinners. Or we can be like last week Zebas. We can be like those that connect Zacchaeus with Jesus. Today, the gospel of Jesus Christ is being proclaimed in every land. Today, we have the freedom. Today, we have the opportunity. Today, we have the privilege to arise and shine. I'll tell you why. I had a different message this morning for here. We were going to talk about a different message that had a different purpose. But perhaps Jesus realizes that today there might be, there may be someone here who can identify with Zacchaeus. Perhaps this morning there's someone here who is spiritually up in the sycamore tree wanting to see who Jesus is. And today Jesus comes right to where you're you're at and he looks at you straight in the eye and just as he calls Zacchaeus by name he calls you this morning by name and he asks you to come down to make haste and to receive him not into your house but into your heart this morning you can receive the love of Jesus this morning you can say Lord I need forgiveness This morning, you can make a commitment with Jesus. I don't know what that commitment might be. I don't know what that, that, that might be that Jesus puts on your heart. I don't know. Jesus didn't tell Zacchaeus to give anything to the poor, but I'm sure the Spirit of the Lord moved on him to do that. The Spirit of the Lord might be moving on your heart to this morning to do something for Jesus. Whatever that may be, I pray that you will follow through with your commitment with Jesus. Because if you do, He will. Amen? I invite you this afternoon, this evening, to be not just present, but to do your best, whether it's to go out to distribute flyers this afternoon, whether it's to make some phone calls and talk to some friends or family, I don't know, but do your part and allow God to use you as channels of blessings to bring others to the knowledge of His saving truth. Amen? Father in heaven, this morning we just want to pause and we want to thank you Thank you so much for your grace, for your mercy, for your love, for your loving kindness. You have bestowed your grace on each one of us. Today we are here because we are recipients of the sacrifice that was made on our behalf 2,000 years ago. And today we just want to respond. Number one, we want to thank you for having mercy for not treating us as we deserve. 
but for manifesting great loving kindness. I pray that you would minister to each one of my brothers and my sisters here and that you would remind us, Father, of our divine purpose, the mission that you've placed for each of us to to fulfill. We have a destiny before us and we have a journey to complete. I pray that the Spirit of the living God would lead us all safely through. And one day soon, may we look up and say, Here is our Lord, whom we have waited for. He will save us. We love you, Father, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.